0: It, <laughs> have a great day. Have a great day. It is a great day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We celebrate the installation and calling of my friend Jennifer Cronk and what a great day this is for your congregation and for the kingdom. And so it is my joy and pleasure to be here. I hail all the way from San Diego, California. And um, it's really fun to have a little bit of crispness in the air. I don't get that, where I'm from in San Diego. And so I bring greetings to you from California and from ECO Synod staff. Um, I represent all of ECO as I am here today to celebrate and worship with you. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark. Fourteen verses 1 through 9 you can turn there in your pew bible if you would like so let's go to the word of the lord now the passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your written word and your living word, Jesus Christ. And we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, take over. Amen. So I would venture to guess that most of you and most Christians who have spent any time in the church or reading their Bible would say that discipleship is important, even central to being a good Christian. So in fact, humor me for a moment. Let's try this hypothesis out. Raise your hand if you think discipleship is important. Good job. You are all absolutely correct. That was not a trick question. However, the more I work with eco-churches of all shapes and sizes and all places, the more I see that although we agree that discipleship is really important, We don't always have a clear picture of what a flourishing disciple looks like, and we're not very sure how to make ourselves and others into these flourishing disciples. In one of my pastoral calls, I was an associate pastor for discipleship, and my main job was helping the people grow as disciples providing excellent biblical teaching and classes. And I had the freedom to create this whole discipleship university on Wednesday nights where people could register for different tracks of classes and that they could increase their biblical knowledge and be drawn closer to the Lord. And I loved my job. I thought that this was so thrilling and so fun with the breadth and the depth of the classes that we had to offer But somewhere in the middle of that first year of the Discipleship University, I began to sense that although we had really high attendance numbers and really excellent teaching, that something wasn't right. Were the people attending really growing into flourishing disciples who were learning to live the way of Jesus in their daily lives? Or were they just simply growing in their biblical head knowledge with no real life changes? And so I figured out that my assumption that if people are getting discipleship classes, coming to church and attending a small group, then real discipleship is happening, I found that assumption to be untrue. Now I know we Presbyterians, and I'm one of them, are really proud of our heritage where we value high intellect and learning, and there's nothing wrong with that. But so much so that we often confuse reading a book on discipleship or listening to a sermon on discipleship with the real deal of living as a disciple. And so I think we fool ourselves into thinking that if we have head knowledge and we understand what a disciple is, then it's as good as putting it into action and living it out. Somewhere I came along this saying, which is now one of my favorite sayings, and I don't even know who to give credit to it for, but it goes like this. Standing in a garage does not make you a car any more than sitting in church makes you a disciple. So this morning, I would like to suggest that we rethink discipleship, that we explore what it means to be whole life disciples. So in our text today, in Mark, the woman who is so highly praised is not named. But there's a parallel version in John where the woman is named, and this woman is Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha. Martha, the one who got in trouble for being so busy that she did not sit at the feet of Jesus, and Mary, the one who was praised for sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking up his presence and his teachings. So let's get to know Mary a little bit, and let's find out why Jesus gives her a compliment that is unparalleled in the rest of the New Testament. Did you guys catch that? Jesus doesn't say that to anyone else. He says, truly I tell you that what she has done will be told in memory of her whenever the gospel is preached. And it seems like in some ways she's doing such a small thing. So why is Jesus so impressed with her? So let's look at Mary and see what we learn about discipleship. Let's look at what do we notice about her. The first thing that I notice about her is this phrase, she did what she could This phrase leaps off the page to me. She did what she could. She's not preaching and saving hundreds like Peter. She's not praying like Paul. She's not healing. She's doing something very small. And she uses what she has. She is generous and she is sacrificial with what she has. She has this perfume. And for women who could not earn wages or own property, this is probably her own the only property she has. And this would be a guarantee for the safety of her future and it is expensive. It is equivalent to what we might say like $54,000 in US but she uses what she has to worship and serve Jesus. Also, she encounters Jesus right where she lives. According to John, we're not sure whether she's in her neighborhood or whether she's in her sister's house or Simon's house. There's a little bit of discrepancy about the details, but it's in Bethany. It's in her neighborhood. She didn't have to go far. And so she serves Jesus right where she lives. Then also, she does something really amazing. She ignores the criticism of others. They rebuke her harshly. They are men. She is a woman. This was very public and would have been very humiliating. But she is on a mission she is lifted clear out of herself and logic and senses of pouring out this expensive perfume to anoint Jesus. And then she gets this unparalleled compliment from Jesus. And there's some context going on here that helps us understand why Jesus gives her this compliment. It is a week before he will be crucified and buried, and so he sees what others can't, that she is anointing him and preparing him for what's to come. She sees him. Jesus is deeply moved. And our translation says, she has done a beautiful thing to me, but the Greek word used there would be better translated as, she has done a beautiful thing in me. He is deeply moved to the core of his being for what Mary is doing. And so this is a clear picture of what a disciple pleasing to Jesus looks like. So I want to introduce you to another disciple. This disciple lives in the day and age that we do with us. And his name is Kirk. And Kirk is retired. He's 79 years old. He was a businessman and a lifelong Presbyterian. He's a covenant partner at his church. He's been an elder. He's served as the chair of the um, personnel committee. Um, He happens to volunteer at a food bank once a week. He loves to play tennis with a regular group of guys at least two times a week. And he loves to travel with his wife now that they are retired. So across the street from Kirk lives an elderly man named Don. And Don has been widowed and lives alone with no family nearby. Um, He's estranged from his children. He has lost his eyesight. He can't function alone in his house. And he's lonely And Kirk sees a need directly across the street from him to become Don's helper and Don's friend. He goes over at first to help him with medication. He'll bring food that he and his wife make for dinner. And he visits with him. And this goes on for months. And Don's health begins to worsen. And Kirk becomes almost like a nurse to Don. Kirk is kind of a tough guy who hasn't been in situations like this, but Kirk begins to even clean up Don's bowel accidents that he has around the house. So how is Kirk a disciple? How is Kirk like Mary? He is the hands and the feet of Jesus. He did what he could He's retired. He has time. He sees a need across the street. He uses what he has. He has time, and he gives sacrificially in ways that he never imagined he would be giving to his neighbor. He encounters Jesus right where he lives. He doesn't have to go far to be on mission for Jesus. He glorifies Jesus by being his hands and feet in love, to a man who has no one. And I believe that Jesus is deeply moved as he watches Kirk care for his neighbor. So Kirk and Mary are whole life disciples. They did what they could. And so I want to ask us what it would look like for us to be whole life disciples. And I would like to suggest this definition. A whole life disciple is someone who is learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at that moment. And I'm just going to break down that definition a little bit so we don't miss the important parts. First, the word learning. That is an active, ongoing verb which illustrates that discipleship is a continual and daily journey. You don't come to Christ, become a disciple, and then you're done. It's a daily journey until you go home to be with the Lord. And then it says to live, learning to live. This is not just a Sunday school class or head knowledge, but it's a way of life that affects all that we do and all that we say and all that we think. And then what are we learning to live? We're learning to live the way of Jesus. Jesus was sent on mission by God to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And what does that kingdom look like? It's a kingdom of love. We are to learn to love like him. And then it says, in our context... We know that we only spend at most 10% of our waking hours in church. So it's vital that we look at the other 90% of our life where we spend our time and ask God, how do you want to use me there? Is that at work or on the tennis court or babysitting your grandkids or at school or in your neighborhood or at your kid's school or at the coffee shop or on the sidelines at soccer games Where do you spend most of your life? And then lastly, it says, at this moment. We all know that God is always at work and always inviting us to be agents of his love in every moment and in every place. And so flourishing disciples are people who learn to be attentive to what God is up to in the world, and they want to be a part of it. They want to be his partner. So in our passage, Mary is on a mission. I think she was sent on that mission by the Holy Spirit. Her mission is right in her neighborhood, and she serves there. In another passage, in Matthew 10, we read about how Jesus sends his disciples on mission. He sends them out two by two. He sends them out to different towns all over the place. And he sends them out with power and authority. He scatters them to go do his work. And this might be the most essential item of being whole life disciples. This really gets to the heart of God. So after teaching them and showing them what the kingdom of God is all about, he sends them out on mission without him, to put into practice all that they have seen and heard and learned. So I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that for the disciples, if you think about all the stories you know in the Gospels, it's only after being sent on mission that they grow into real disciples who begin to change the world. As they strike out in the world to do what Jesus has taught them and modeled for them to do, their faith grows, their dependence on him grows, their compassion for the lost and hurting people grows, their servanthood grows, their generosity grows, their wisdom grows, and their love for one another grows as they're on mission. And I know you guys have been going through the book of Acts, and so I wanted to point something out about Acts that I find fascinating. If you remember in Acts 1.8, It says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? That's in Acts 1. But the church doesn't begin to do that. The apostles don't begin to do that until 8 1. It's interesting, 1 8 and 8 1, because in 8 1, the church gets persecuted. Stephen has been stoned, things are not going well, and then it says that the church scatters and goes on mission. Disciples grow when they are engaged on mission and when we're uncomfortable and when we're stretched and when we're taking risks. And let me clarify what I mean by mission. I don't mean overseas for a week or a month or a year. I don't mean just serving in a soup kitchen, or I don't mean just volunteering at church. If we are to be whole-life disciples, then mission is what we do, 24/7. And Colossians 1:6 says, "All things have been created through him and for him." And so that tells us that creation, all of it, belongs to Jesus. So if it all belongs to him, wouldn't he be interested in how we care for it all and how we shape it all? From factories and fields and offices and governments and schools and art galleries and science labs and hospitals and homes and prisons and neighborhood, Jesus is concerned with all of these things and all of these places. There is no sacred-secular divide. What we do here on Sunday morning is as holy and important as what you do Monday through Saturday. So I want to teach you a few new terms to put into your vocabulary. The gathered church, that's what we're doing this morning in worship. Worship. And for most people, it's a lot less than 10 hours, but we say maybe a maximum of 10 hours you might spend as the gathered church on this campus. And then there's the scattered church. That's your Monday through Saturday life where you spend 110 of your waking hours. And then the front line, this is a term by Neil Hudson, that's where you as the scattered church Spend your waking hours. This is your mission field. This is where God wants to use you. So your front line is all the things that I just listed. This is your primary mission field. These 110 hours count, and they matter, and God wants to use them. But the sad fact is that for many Christians we don't find it easy to connect our faith and our Sunday morning life to the rest of our lives. Many Christians struggle how to make their faith relevant to the rest of their lives. 40% of Christians say that they struggle to bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ in their everyday situations. Now, I want to say that largely I think this is the fault of the church and the limited view of discipleship that we have taught for decades. On the one hand, we say, your whole heart and your whole lives belong to Jesus once we decide to follow him. But we spend little time equipping people for how to do that. What does it look like for my whole life to belong to him? So, I have a few questions for us to ponder. Where has Jesus currently placed you? Where do you spend your Monday to Saturday life? And then the follow-up question is, how can you intentionally see yourself as his ambassador in those places and use your actions and your words to live the way of Jesus there? Now... The good news about this whole life discipleship concept is it doesn't require you to add anything to your schedule. Whole life discipleship just asks you to be intentional in the places where you are already spending time. For me, for quite a few years, my front line was the sidewalk in front of my kid's school because I was there two times a day, five days a week, and there was a gathering of mostly moms, moms who had highs and lows and bad days and doubts and struggles, who needed to be seen and loved and prayed for. That was my mission field. And I did what I could in that place. So how can we grow to be whole life disciples? I'm sure you are all like me. I would love to receive that compliment from Jesus, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told. So if we are to rethink discipleship and if we are allowed to think about how the church can equip us to do this, then our churches need to make a major shift. The way we have been doing ministry for decades is for the church staff and pastors to try to get you guys to give some of your free time to come and serve and do things on campus at church. And those things are important, and the church needs to run and offer their awesome programs. But what if we flipped that model on its head? What if the church realized that what Jesus asks of his disciples rarely occurs at church? in the church building? What if pastors and elders acknowledge that their people each have an important mission field Monday through Saturday, and it's the church's job to equip them and partner them to do good work on their front lines? What if the key to growing into whole life disciples is not doing something extra for God, but being intentional for God right where you are already spending time? What if when we gathered as the church, we focused on worshiping together and equipping every covenant partner for doing ministry on their front line? So here's some more good news. I think that Bethel already has a vision for this. I think you guys are already stepping in that direction. There are places where I read where Bethel says who we are, We love, live, serve, share Jesus wherever we go. Bethel Church has already started to expand the idea of discipleship beyond the classroom and beyond these church walls. I pray for all of you that you will begin to see your Monday through Saturday life as a mission field, I pray that you would grow in your attentiveness to what God is doing there and how he wants to use you. I pray that you will begin to see yourself as ambassadors for Christ on your front line. So I want to close by asking you, coming back to Mary, and coming back to who we know her to be and what she did. I want to ask you about your personal discipleship because that's where it all begins. Mary, in Luke 10, sat at the feet of Jesus. She enjoyed his presence, she listened, she learned, and she was changed. And was it that time of sitting at the feet of Jesus that led her to this beautiful sacrificial act with the perfume? I just wanna say that before you can be an ambassador for Christ on your front line, you have to be like Mary. You need to just abide in Christ, listen for his voice, be filled with his spirit, so that you can recognize Monday through Saturday when this spirit is nudging you to do something. So, at this time, speaking of your Monday through Friday life, I'm gonna invite Pastor Jennifer forward to do something called This Time Tomorrow. And she's going to interview one of your covenant partners to talk about this. And it's fitting that Jennifer is doing this because in her calling and installation here, this is her job, to equip you all to be disciples.
1: Dee, will you come on up? Hi, and I'm going to throw a little bit of wrench um, in things because I'm going to ask you a little bit differently than I told you I was going to ask you, okay? Is that okay? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just taking uh, what Lisa said into account. And so I was going to ask Dee, this time tomorrow, where would you be? but where would you be this time tomorrow?
2: Um, Danielle is on vacation and I'm covering here in the office.
1: Yes, so we're gonna, we're gonna pretend that it's another day this week, okay? So choose another day that you're not going to be in the church office.
2: Okay, um, let's, you, I love to go to um, yoga and um, I have the group of ladies and gentlemen there And so that would be an ideal place for me to um, just use things like love, um, support, um, caring, um, and helping.
1: Okay, so theoretically this time tomorrow, you're going to be at the yoga studio. And how do you think that God could work or is working in that space?
2: Um, It often, I I think what is so important is when I go that I'm really focused on the Lord and in tune with where he will lead me. And I don't really plan anything. I am just really aware and sensitive to what is around me. And um, I'm sort of an intuitive person anyway. And so... Um, when I see someone that I think something's wrong I go over and talk with them and a lot of times people do open up to Mm -hmm. you sometimes they don't but you never really know God knows because he's using you but you don't know Mm -hmm.
1: so God could be at work even in that savasana pose God could be (laughs) at work in you or in someone that's there and wanting to really do something in their lives, and you're attuned to that and kind of paying attention to what he might be doing. So how can we pray for you as you partner with God in your yoga studio?
2: Okay. Um, I think it's um, just staying focused on the Lord. A lot of times I'm busy. Um, I'm a worrier, as my husband well knows, and um, a lot of times I take up a lot of energy with just doing daily things for me and my family. And so I need your prayers to um, help me stay focused to the Lord and, and be aware of what's happening around me.
1: Thank you for your vulnerability. That was so sweet, wasn't yeah. it? Okay, well, I think we should definitely close in prayer. And then, Lisa, you're going to come back up and close, or are you? Okay, okay, all right. Well, I'm going to close this in prayer, then we'll move on to the next thing. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for Dee and her sweetheart that really wants everywhere she goes, every step she takes, every um, exercise she practices, every grocery run she does to be done for you and with you, including you, Lord. And so we do just pray, would you give her your Holy Spirit eyes to see the needs around her? Would you give her your Holy Spirit grace to to offer grace uh, to those who are in need of it. Lord, would you give her her, your Holy Spirit patience to demonstrate patience and kindness even to those who don't exude that themselves. Lord, and would you give her your Holy Spirit gentleness that she may be approachable, that she may be um, just a soft spirit, a soft place to land for those who have had a hard day. And Lord, we do pray, would you begin to, to open conversations Um, Lord, would you begin to develop friendships, maybe that result in a meal after class, uh, maybe that result in a conversation over coffee. Um, Lord, would you begin to use her everyday activities like yoga to begin to demonstrate your glory, your grace, and your goodness to those in her life. May she speak freely and proudly of your goodness and kindness to her, and may that just move the hearts of others to want to know and to trust you as well. We pray it in your holy, strong, and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, <laughs> well, I, I get to give you the benediction. And I just hope that throughout this service, you have heard one common theme run strong, which is the faithfulness of God. The goodness, the faithfulness, the kindness, the immeasurable goodness of God. I hope that you've heard that. I wouldn't be standing here without it. God is so faithful and kind. That's my story, and I hope it's yours too. And I hope that this week, this time tomorrow, you get to tell others of the faithfulness and goodness and kindness of God. I hope that that's your story. I hope it's your mission. I hope it's what wakes you up in the morning and what settles you down as you lay on your pillow at night. I hope it compels you, and I hope it inspires you. So go out this week trusting, resting in the goodness and faithfulness of God. Live on mission as wholehearted, whole life disciples for his glory and the good of this world that he's called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.